Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Monday, October 11th. Derek Van Riper, Eno Saris, Britt Giroli here with you on this Monday. Another great four playoff game day. We are so lucky to have that. It didn't look like we were going to get that when the weekend kicked off, so I think we're all happy and maybe relieved simultaneously that there's plenty to get to. So we're going to recap everything that happened from the series over the weekend and take a look forward to the Game 3 and Game 4 matchups. Let's get going in the AL and start with the Astros-White Sox series. That series looked like it was going to end yesterday because at one point the Astros opened up a huge lead. They They chased Dylan Cease in the third inning of that game, so it just looked like, okay, here it is. Here's the sweep. Houston's exerting dominance on the series, and we're done here. But a nice rally for the White Sox and certainly some drama in this game, too, including a a throw home that hit Yasmani Grandal and led to a big, I don't know, hubbub, I guess we'll call it, on the field. That seems like a fair word to use. And and it's a very questionable bullpen management by Dusty Baker along the way. So, Britt, I want to start with you. This series has been uh, in your kitchen. Well, not literally, but you were covering it in Houston. Uh, What did you make of the events that unfolded in Game 3 where there was a lot of drama? Yeah, it was chaos. And, you know, what was crazy to me is I was watching the other game, and then I flipped over to that game, and I'm like, man, they tied it. So then I had to go back and and rewatch parts of, of what the White Sox were able to do. But, guys... You see plays that you're never you never have seen in your life. I mean, the Red Sox Yankees, I mean the Red Sox Rays certainly have one of those. And then also, I've never seen a throw to first base hit a player like that. Have you guys? Like in 15 years covering baseball, I've I've just never seen that. And you know, the Astros certainly thought that he got in the way on purpose. Come to find out that the rules, you can basically run wherever you want. You can zigzag, you can, you know, do whatever you want to get to first base. Um, which I found crazy. I thought that was a big momentum changer there. I think that, you know, the White Sox were too good of a team to kind of go quietly. I thought their approach was much better. Uh, Yes, you knew we were going to have a playoff series that was going to involve some kind of Dusty Baker second guessing. Let's keep in mind, though, that the Astros bullpen has has been, I know they won the first two games, but they were quietly kind of shaky, like Graveman in particular. Uh, We always knew this was kind of the underbelly of the Houston team. So... I'm kind of excited for game four because I think if you're the Astros and what was maybe the biggest deal was Tempura after the game saying, Hey, kind of insinuating that the Astros are still cheating. I mean, are we going to talk about that? How long do we have? Because that was just, I mean, this is going to be a heated game. I'm going to have to watch this from the first pitch to the last, because it seems to me very clear that there could be a brawl. There could be some serious bad blood here. Um, There could be some inside pitches. I mean, you're going to come at the Astros like that after everything um, and do it on a big stage like this. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that. What do you guys think? I mean, he said it was because they they didn't strike. Like they struck out as much in game three as they did in the first two games in Houston combined or something or, or more, whatever. He was basically saying hey, they didn't strike out in Houston. I wonder why. Um, you know, just asking questions sort of deal. <laughs> big, <laughs> big, just asking questions energy there from Tapera. Uh, I don't know. You know, I just think that the matchups were different. You know, like I just think that the pitchers were better. You know, <laughs> like the, the 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 White Sox pitcher on that night was better. I, I didn't think that Lynn was going to strike out a lot of Astros. You know, 
So I don't think it was necessarily like what what signs do you have to give up for Lance Lynn? It's probably going to be a fastball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like pick your pick your mic, pick your uh, poison on that. But um, you know, one thing that stood out for me uh, on that play is I, I feel like maybe we haven't seen that exact play with Yasmani Grandal being hit. Um, but we see something like that and argue about something like that most postseasons, I feel like. Wasn't there the Trey Turner running to first? And the thing is, uh, so if the if there had been some sort of obstruction at uh, 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 regarding his, like if someone had been throwing the ball to first and Yasmani Grandal got in, in the way of it where he was, he would have been out. Because... There is a baseline you have to be in for the play at first. But but because the question wasn't the play at first, the question was the throw home, the only thing that they had to de- decide is whether or not he intentionally uh, hit the ball. And so they said, it looked like he ran in a straight line, I guess. I think he took a real inside path. I mean, he's running on the grass, right? Yeah, that was a, a savvy veteran move. I don't think he like waved an arm at the ball or anything. Tom Hallion explained the call and why they applied the rules the way they did, and I, I think it, it makes sense. The throw from first to home is different than the throw from home to first you, just in terms of how these rules work. But it also makes sense to be a little bit mad at Yasmani Grandal because the dude was running in the grass. I yeah, mean, like, yeah, it's not a natural place to run, right? I mean, yeah. You kind of have to yeah. seek that out. So I don't know. I I, I think that, um, that it's, that's a difficult rule. And it was one of, a weekend of difficult rules, and we'll get to some other stuff later. But uh, it is actually one of the things, I guess it's not unique to baseball, but it's not my favorite thing when we start railing about the rules. Like, first of all, the rule book is some dry-ass reading. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to read it. It is, uh, it is some boring-ass legalese, you know, if, if, where to, henceforth, blah, blah, blah. Oh, my God, I hate reading it. Um, and plus like every rule has subsections and then there's like references to other rules. So you have like check also rule five B three, two, you know? <laughs> so like, you kind of have to yeah. check like five different places to figure out one rule. Uh, but I guess, you know, I, I had a little bit of football on cause the father-in-law is here and, uh, they do the same thing in football, right? They have a rules expert come in and be like, well, <laughs> you know, while well. we're, while we're reviewing this play, let me explain to you the three rules that came to they came to bear in the situation. So I guess uh, it's not unique to baseball, but it's not my favorite part of fandom. No, no, it's not the, the best part of the game. I mean, I think the, the play that happened in Boston was the one that had more people concerned about a, a rule that needs to be on the books to change things there. But we'll get to that in just a few minutes. Uh, the weirdest thing I think about this game from a decision standpoint was the decision for Dusty Baker to put Yimi Garcia into the game as a mid-plate appearance replacement. And matchup-wise, it didn't really make a lot of sense. Jake Kaplan had a good recap of the game, breaking this down. A couple of switch hitters. Larry Garcia hit the home run, and Cesar Hernandez, also a switch hitter, was the next batter up. So going with a righty who's a lot more effective against same-handed hitters didn't really make sense tactically, and then the timing of the move made it even more curious for Dusty. Was there anything that made sense to you guys about that decision no um no but i kind of i kind of knew this right you kind of the first two games people were questioning la Russa, even a little bit last night about leaving the starter in too long and there really hadn't been a whole lot of second guessing about dusty so you kind of felt like he was due 
almost. I don't I don't think this changes the tenor of the series. I think Houston wins this series, possibly tonight. Uh, I think probably tonight. I don't know if the events of last night's game swayed either one of you onto Houston's side at all. But um, to me, uh, it was nice that Chicago got that win. They haven't played a home playoff game in forever there. Uh, I thought that was nice, but I just I just don't see Chicago beating Houston twice. Do you guys? Twice more? No, I, I don't think so. I, I was looking at the Luis Garcia's pitch velocity chart to be like, oh, his last fastball was down a tick. But, I mean, it looks like he was still at like 93, 94 like he was all game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things. You, you usually see that reserved for a pitcher clearly being hurt, but that didn't seem to be the case at all with Luis Garcia. So definitely a strange decision by Dusty Baker. We knew he'd probably have decisions that were puzzling in this series made by these managers. Tony La Russa, I thought, made a really dumb decision back in, in Game 2. The White Sox had an early mid-game lead. Giolito didn't make it through five. It seemed like the prime opportunity to go to Michael Kopech. He went to the short relievers instead. After the game said they would have used Kopech if they needed him to win, which was just a, a dumb quote on top of a bad decision. So uh, way to cover both situations there, Tony. But uh, yeah, this time we're talking about the situation with Dusty and, and the decision made on Sunday. I, I think the other interesting thing was Zach Greinke's usage on Sunday. Only 21 pitches. I thought maybe they'd stretch him out a little bit more. And there are some weather concerns as... Uh, Max Bay puts in the chat, the weather looks terrible actually in Chicago. So we may be waiting another day for game four. Turkidi versus Carlos Rodon. Britt, you kind of made your prediction already. You don't think the White Sox get a second win, or at least you don't think they can win two more, but you think the series ends today if the game is played today? Yeah, I think the series, I do. That is that is my prediction. You guys may they feel differently. I don't know. Eno, what's your side? No, I like that. I think, you know, Rodon's velocity was really poor the last times out you saw him. And that, that's somewhat predictive. So I think, like, how many innings are you going to get from Rodon, I think, is a, is, a, is a great question to ask. And if you're asking that question before the game even starts, I think you're, you're saying the Astros are going to win. I did notice something real quick. Uh, Luis Garcia's, uh, the, the fastball, the vertical movement on his fastball was the worst uh, of the game, the, the last pitch he threw. Okay. Well, so maybe they had some sort of uh, injury spot or fatigue spot or situation where they said, "Uh oh, get him out of there." But it didn't. It didn't work out. Let's say. <laughs> if I had to set an over under for outs recorded by Carlos Rodon tonight, I'd set the number probably at nine and a half. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that'd be a good place to put it. If he goes three and he pitches well, they may go to Ronaldo Lopez for two or three innings. Kopech pitched yesterday, so he's not going to pitch in this one. But I, I think they've been planning for some sort of tandem situation all along for Rodon, given the way he's been dealing with injuries here for the last couple of weeks. But I think Jose Urquidy comes through, pitches well for the Astros tonight, today, and I think the Astros come away with a three games to one win in this series. Hopefully it goes five, and hopefully we do get to see some baseball today. Ever try to break a bad habit and feel like you're climbing Everest in flip-flops? We've all been there. But here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device that does just that. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy 
and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Start the year off right with the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash barrels, getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners of the show 10% off when they use our code barrels to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Start the good habit at tryfume.com slash barrels to save 10% off the journey pack today. Answering the important questions in our live stream, Patrick wants to know, is that dude drinking wine? I'm going to assume that's probably me with the clear glass. Now it's just the clear glass. They sent me to drink this nice coffee. It is delicious. Um, I'm not cool enough to drink wine. I've decided that years ago. I I just, it's not for me. <laughs> Let's move on to the Rays and Red Sox where things are chaotic right now. The pitching matchup is the old TBD versus Eduardo Rodriguez. And because of the way things unfolded for the Rays in game three, it's a little bit more of a cluster than it ordinarily would be. They've got some guys that pitched yesterday that threw more than they were expected to. Waka threw a ton of pitches in game two. A lot of questions here as to how the Rays are going to navigate this. Probably a, like a full-on bullpen game with the hope of extending the series and then getting five plus from Shane McClanahan in game five. And of course that day of rest before game five will go a long way. But I'm also curious if the Red Sox can use the quick hook on Eduardo Rodriguez again, like they did earlier in the season, you know, given the way they've had to use their pitching over these last couple of games. I'm, I'm checking right now. Did he, did he must've pitched, did he pitch in the first game? Yeah. So that's one, two, three, three days of rest. Yeah. And he didn't yeah. pitch deep in that game. So I mean, he could pitch deeper this time around. He could. I mean, the the main issue, I mean, they're, they're both depleted at this point in time, right? Yeah. Like both both teams are going with plan B or C, I guess, depending on how you view it. Because Pavetta was the reason, you know, I know the rule's going to take a lot of the highlight away, but Pavetta is the reason the Red Sox won that game. Yeah. Um he really is that so what he was able to do the innings he was able to, to eat up, especially because they had used so many relievers. Um, I think with Tampa Bay, they're going to have McHugh start today. Right. And then kind of piece it together from there. The issue there is that they wanted to stay away from like Luis Patino and they used him yesterday. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of guys that they would have preferred to not pitch in can that 13 use, inning game. Can they use anybody they used yesterday again? I mean, I think so. They have to, I mean, I mean, I, I mean Anybody like that they like I'm talking about like Drew Rasmus and Luis Patino. Like, do they have anybody that can give them innings? Well, yeah, here's here's what's gonna happen, right? The guys are all gonna come in and they're gonna most of these guys are gonna tell Kevin Cash they're good to go because their season's on the line. So it right. doesn't matter if they're available, not available, it doesn't matter if they've never gone this deep, whatever. Like it's the old baseball adage of you baby pitchers in September to abuse them in October, right? Like none of these rules apply anymore. If you're Kevin Cash, you got to go out by out, not even inning a, by inning, I, out I, by I, out. I know it's a different manager, and and I agree with you. But I did ask um, Gabe Kapler about this a little bit. I said, like, is there any sort of go time? Like, does do you you spent all season like you know load management and like you know let's try to uh, make sure everyone's healthy and like does all that go out the window in October? Um, and he had an interesting answer. He said that, you know, the, we don't only baby them to keep them from being hurt. Like we don't, we don't do all that only to keep them from being hurt. We also do that because there's optimal performance, you know? So there is that, 
you know, okay, we could pitch between Patino and Rasmussen today. Um, and maybe they wouldn't get injured and that, and maybe it'd be fine, but will we get optimal performance from, from Drew Rasmussen or at least Patino today? Well, you have to ask yourself, are they better options than your yeah. other guys? So yeah. like, you can't even look at it like that. Like nobody is a hundred percent right now. Right. Anyway, everyone you're running out there, whether they're fresh or not fresh, isn't fresh. They're not. 100%. Right. So, I mean, I, I, I agree with that. I think if you're Kevin Cash, you're like, is a 80% Patino better than an 80% Dave Robertson, right? Like right. you have to kind of look at it like that and weigh it. We're going to see guys stretch to the limit. Otherwise they go home. They have the entire off season to rest their arms. This I get my guess is Patino is back out there and that I, they just use Patino again. I, I kind of think not Rasmussen. I don't know. Rasmussen was in longer through more pitches. Right. So Rasmussen yeah. threw 33 pitches. David Robertson threw 40. I don't think those guys are pitching today. Fleming only threw 12, so they can get bulk from him. Kittredge will be out there. He only threw 16. Fairbanks threw 19. Fire Eisen threw 11. Whistler threw seven pitches to get four outs. So a lot of those guys actually are options. Again, Chargois, maybe a little more borderline. I'm just wondering who gets two. You know? <laughs> or maybe nobody no, gets two. Nobody. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I think you go, yeah, you go, you go out by out. Some guys might not even do a full. Some guy might say, I'm here for, I'm ready for two outs, right? And you use them for two outs. It's, That's what we're going to see here. This it's is not essentially super a, compelling to watch. I have to admit. It's not going to be, I mean, it's going to be like that on Boston's side a little bit too. I mean, yeah. Pavetta did eat up a lot of innings, but Eduardo Rodriguez was not very good. Chris Sale, they clearly don't have a whole lot of faith in Chris Sale right now, and rightfully so. Uh, I, think the, I think the first sign of trouble they pull, Eduardo, just to answer the question you started with, DVR. <laughs> the first sign of trouble. I, but, you know, there's one thing that's a little bit different about today that was different than yesterday. Uh, if you win game three, like if, you, if it's tied and you win game three to go up 2-1, uh, that win puts you in a situation where you win the series 70% of the time. No. So it was 54% of the time. They kept saying on the broadcast. Hmm. I was uh, going off of Sarah Lang's tweet. They kept, they said multiple times on Fox, it's actually not that big of an indicator. It's only 54% of the time. The game three winner wins in a tied series in a best of five. Wow. Mm -hmm. hmm. I wonder where Sarah Lang's Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, uh, anyway, it did, I mean, it seemed it seemed like they were playing that way. I mean, they both used their game four starters, and like they they you know they, they it's it was a very tense game that seemed like you know might might change the uh, might change the the series in a great in a big way. And I do actually after that game, before that game, I thought I think the Rays still have this in hand, you know. And then after that game, I'm kind of like, are the Rays the Rays not going to win this one? <laughs> There we go. So since 2013. So I think you have to go with the recency bias just because pitching and pitchers are used a little differently. Well, also, right? we didn't have that many five-game series, so it's not no. like it, there's a large history that we're missing if we just do 2013. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where she got that stat. But yeah, it was weird because I thought it was going to be more too, but it's really not. Hmm. Because to, to be honest, it's different than a game seven, right? When you go down 3-0 and you have to win four games. You only have to win back-to-back -back games. We, we sit here and we're like, oh, what an insurmountable lead. They only have to win back-to-back -back games. Right. It's not. But it, I mean, but it hard. just seemed, it just seems, I mean, yeah, there's the the numbers and like, you know, the fact of it. But also, I'm a, I'm a human being and I have, you know, an emotional reaction to this too, which is like, Jesus, that Red Sox offense. It's loaded. I mean, yeah. it, it, it was dangerous all along because they don't strike out as much as a team like the Yankees. They can put runs on the board and... 
It was a, a secondary contributor that played the hero on Sunday with Christian Vasquez hitting the walk-off. But the, the weird play, of course, we referenced this in passing earlier, was the ball that Kevin Kiermeyer hit that hit the base of the wall or bounced off the base of the wall, then hit Hunter Renfro and went out of play over the outfield wall. By rule, it was determined to be a ground rule double, which meant Yanni Diaz didn't get to score from first, which he would have easily if the ball hadn't gone into play. And this is just one of those things. The, the umpires, the crew, did what they were supposed to do based on the rules that were written. And this play is one of those things that I think it was uh, it was like John Hart or somebody on the panel who's been around the game forever. Someone said, you ever seen that before? No. And, and John Hart's been in baseball for 50-plus years. It was one of those plays that you you don't even conceive of needing a rule for it. Clearly, there will be a rule probably put into play, but I was wondering, what should the penalty be in that situation? Like, if you're making a new rule, it's going to be called the Hunter Renfro rule, where an outfielder bobbles a ball out of play over the outfield wall as an automatic triple. Like, where, where, do, you, where do you draw the line on something like that? I Here's the through line for me, actually connecting both the Grandal play and this play is that they both basically ruled that there was no intent on the player's part. Yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't think Hunter Renfro intentionally bobbled the ball out of play, which you I mean, not it, knowing it, the rule you could. like it's hip. It would be a crazy move if he if he could have done that intentionally. Right. Yeah, but you could like soccer like you could volley the ball over or you could slap it with your glove, which would you be You could really do it on intentional. purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but I think I think intent is really really hard to gauge and i think in these cases it seemed pretty clear except we talked about how grandal took the inside lane and maybe there was some intent at the beginning not at the moment but at the beginning he kind of put himself in that position so uh i would i'm in favor of fewer rules that have any uh sort of need to judge intent yeah it's unfortunate because i would love for umpires to make a discretion call but Imagine if the Red Sox lose that game last night because the umpire's discretion said that the race scored a run, right? People would be just as mad. So, so I, say, I, I agree. I, yeah, I would say like if you hit something out, like it, it's like if you threw the ball, like what happens when you throw the ball past the first baseman? They just give you the next base, right? It goes into the dugout. If it's out of play, then yeah. If, if you're talking about a ball that's base. out of play? Yeah. Yeah, every, like if you throw a ball out base. of play. Yeah, they, yeah, they get the you, extra base. They get the extra base. So I think... Just apply that. That was clearly <laughs> yeah, but, a double with runners at second so and third. A, so out it's of play, a ground rule some, double plus a base for the the, the hitter hitting it out. Right. And the, the, there was a lead runner, the runner out. scores. Yeah. What sucked is he clearly would have scored very easily. Like it, the bobble took place like after he was like basically rounding third. And so I don't know. I don't know what you do to that rule. Um, except maybe you judge it by when the deflection happens. Then they get to from where the runner is, right? Why couldn't you do that? I they did a split screen and Yandi hadn't crossed third yet because that was kind of when the ball landed. You know, I don't know. He I, where he was he? He was third. pretty close. I thought he was close to third. And just, I mean, uh, the other thing that you could do is just give it all discretion to the umpire and just be like, "Wow, he would have totally scored on that play." So like, <laughs> he scores. That's tough. I mean, I think if he's closer to third, you give him a base beyond that. Maybe right? You give him a base beyond that. I think adding one, kind of using the same principles as the ball out of play. And yeah, in that case, over the outfield wall, if it bounces over, we know it's a ground rule double or an automatic double. Okay, add one to that. You get a triple almost every single time then, so then you're, you're good. Like that, that kind of covers that situation in the unlikely event that it ever happens again. But it also, it also prevents the possibility of a, a very savvy outfielder knocking is, a ball over the wall. 
What is Roja Paul talking about? Tommy Pham in 2019? Mm. Uh, I don't know. Was there another issue? Here's the thing. That series has already had, and somebody, Adam B. asking, is there any other diamond you could think of to have that ground rule double happen? No. No, because it's only five feet there in Fenway Park. Um, so there's not too many other stadiums where that's even a chance that that happens. Um, but this series has been marred by weird plays because it's interesting when it happens at Fenway Park, it's quirky. When it happens at Tropicana Field, it's like, <laughs> oh, they need to blow up Tropicana Field. It's a monstrosity. <laughs> you either like quirky fields or you don't like quirky fields and you don't get to pick and choose, guys. You don't get to be Eno. You got to pick a side. Apparently, this has happened multiple times Thanks. in the last 10 years. It's uh, <laughs> according to the real Cobus. Ben Revere, Tommy Pham, Yasiel Puig. So our memories must be totally shot. It could happen at Dodger Stadium. It could. Yep. Could Lower happen. wall yeah. down there. Yep. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few random places where it could happen. But today's game is going to be just a disaster from a pitching standpoint. It is, it's going to be back and forth pitching changes. It's going to be probably... Six five, you know, a high a higher scoring game. I would think, given the strength of these offenses and given the state of both pitching staffs, and in part of how we got here too. Chris Sale got through one inning, gave up five runs in game two. I mean, the Red Sox came back and won that game. Shane Boz didn't make it out of the third. That game was eight five after five innings for the Red Sox after they were down five zero in the first. I picked that game for the Red Sox because Chris Sale was starting it. Then I was like, good, oh, it? well, there goes that pick. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, at the end, I was like, okay. Not how I drew it up in my head. But <laughs> well, I mean, the two key pitchers, though, for the Red Sox in the series, of course, Tanner Houck was fantastic in that game. Nick Pavetta was fantastic in the game three victory. Uh, Houck went five in his game. Houck went four, uh, or Pavetta went four. The, the quality of those guys in that duration is kind of optimal, right? They're, they're not necessarily guys that go six plus, but at four or five innings, they can be really effective. I think the other thing that surprised me so far in the series, Brandon Lau over 14 with six strikeouts. He had taken a step forward again offensively in the regular season and so far has been a ghost in the series. Yeah. Now, if if the Rays win tonight, does can Hawk, Hauk, is it Hauk? Hauk? Is that how you say it? Hauk? Can Hauk pitch game five? He could be a factor in five, couldn't he be? I think so. Yeah, see, this is where, like, to me, last night's game was so important, no matter what the percents say, because even if the Rays win tonight, I don't know, I think the Red Sox are almost set up better. And we unfortunately, I know I'm going off on not exactly what you asked, Eric, at all, but we talked about, like, how the Rays don't have those starters anymore that they can rely on for at least, like, five innings. And this is where it might hurt, right? Like, even if they scrape by today, the bullpen's going to be straight up exhausted. They get one travel day to get to Tampa Bay, Still that's straight I, up, still exhausted. That's the kind of thinking I was having during that game. I was like, wait, yeah. what? Like, they don't even have like the, the Tyler Glass now, you know, where it's like, oh, but they'll have Tyler Glass now for four innings or five. You know what I mean? They don't, yeah, I, they like, don't have it. I guess Shane McClanahan would start game five. Yep. Yeah. And they would need him to go five plus because, yes. because everyone Fumes. would be tired as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, yeah. So I don't know. I, you know, I see I'm, I'm fully on nerd status now. We are one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely more nervous for the Rays winning the series than I thought. I thought um, uh, before that game, I really had the, them still in hand in the series. But I think it does speak to some of the uh, questions that we had were like, is this bullpen as good as it was last year? Um, yeah. And I think that the answer is no. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think this is why the managers managed last night. Like it was a winner go home game. If you use that many pitchers, 
even in the regular season, managers talk all the time, like, that's a tough game to lose. It's one thing to lose. It's another to lose in 13 innings when you use up that Using many guys. everybody, yeah. Like, it just, it crushes you for the next day. Had they lost in nine innings, okay, right? Would have hurt, but okay. But because the later it got, that's why the Red Sox were like, we're using Pavetta because losing this game is going to really suck. Yeah. yeah. We're on to predictions. How does it play out today? I, I just expected total debacle in terms of a million pitching changes and a lot of runs. It might might be fun. Might take a long time. Might be fun. I, I think the Red Sox actually finish it off. I think the Rays are just they're on the ropes right now. They're they're too they're they're both exhausted in the bullpen. But I do think the the point Eno just made about that bullpen it's not quite at the level it was at last year, and that might be shining through a little bit. And I think we all probably underestimated the quality of the Red Sox not only at the beginning of the season but even going into the postseason. Yeah, I think you are right. I think it's going to be Red Sox Astros in the ALCS, and I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> That'll be an interesting one. I mean, it's, those are the two teams that have most recently gotten in trouble for sign stealing. <laughs> uh, people don't remember the Red Sox one as much. No, no. They, uh, they tend to brush that one aside. Uh, I'm loving this. I have my dog in here with me today, and there's a dog barking outside. So it's only a matter of time before Hazel joins the show. So brace yourself for dog barking. <laughs> it seems like it's only a few minutes away. Let's go to the Giants and Dodgers series and go back to Logan Webb's game one gem in that series. 21 swings and misses, had a 40% CWS with the change, the slider, and the sinker. That's called strikes and whips. That's CSW. I am in need of more coffee. But Logan Webb came through at a time when, look, I, I thought he'd go five or six and pitch well, but he was outstanding. He had a playoff start to remember, an all-time great start for a franchise that has plenty of great playoff performances. Unfortunately, the Dodgers got a hold of the weaker Giants relievers in Game 2 and quickly leveled the series, but this one's tied up as we go into Game 3. I thought Kevin Gossman actually pitched well enough to keep the Giants in it in Game 2 before things really unraveled. I think it was Dominic Leone where, where things started to turn, but I've been sitting here all morning just trying to figure out how are the Giants going to possibly steal Game 3 with Alex Wood and Max Scherzer as the pitching matchup? Uh, I think they can. Scherzer's been kind of hittable. Um, he didn't look great in the wild card game. That was like pure guts that he pitched on to get as deep as he did. He had two bad starts to close out the year. Um, I think they can get to the, the Dodgers here. My main issue is the Dodgers lineup kind of woke up in game two. And so that is a little terrifying. Um, I agree with you on Gossman. What was nice about Gossman was they were going to hit for him in what, like the second inning, third inning um, in that first game. And then he was able to kind of write the course and, you know, eat up, retire like 10 straight at one point. Um, so that was good. I, I did not expect uh, the start that we got. Nobody did, right, from Webb, maybe not even him. But I think when you look at this matchup, I don't think the starters are going to factor in as much as the bullpens. I think this is going to be a big late inning, whose bullpen's going to blink first kind of game. And those are just hard to predict. Uh, you know, I picked the Giants to win the series. It's tied right now. I'm going to stick with the Giants because I I'm not going to go back. I'm not a waffler. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't think that Scherzer's going to, um, be this. He hasn't really been his dominant self as of late at all. So I don't know. I think he's going to be hittable. I think the giants are going to be, are going to be on it. So I don't know. We'll see. 
I mean, if he reprises his uh, wild card game situation, I wouldn't be too surprised. Five or six innings, one run. I mean, that's really good work, but I don't think it'll be like eight innings, no runs, you know, 12 strikeouts kind of deal. So, um, you know, if he does that, then it will be, I think then Britt will be right. It'll be, uh, it'll be up on the bullpens because I think Wood can pitch, you know, to like, you know, two or three runs in four or five innings, right? So if we're talking as 3 1, uh, Dodgers in the fifth and the starting pitchers are out. That's, I mean, that's, that's, it's gettable for the, uh, for the Giants. Uh, they have to do something before they get to Trinan, um, and Jansen. Yeah. So they'll have to do like, it'll be all about the sixth inning, sixth and seventh inning. If the Giants can score in the sixth and seventh inning, then they can, they can push this game. Otherwise, uh, they'll lose for sure. I, I mean, I, I would pick the, the Dodgers in this game for sure. I feel like I just reflexively pick the Dodgers against everybody because they're favored all the time. But Scherzer's last three postseason starts, including this year's wildcard game, he's allowed a total of five earned runs over 14 in the third innings. I think that's the number that surprises me the most. It's only been 14 in the third innings over those starts. Uh, hasn't gone deeper than five in any of those outings. So if the Giants can at least get him out around the end of the fifth inning, get a shot at maybe one of the weaker Dodgers relievers, that would be a big key, I think, to them possibly stealing this game. But I just try to imagine Alex Wood keeping the, the Dodgers offense quiet and having a hard time doing it. Well, there's a big caveat on Scherzer's last couple starts because he couldn't move his neck in the one before the wild card game, which was the 2019 Game 7 World Series. So it is a little bit of an anomaly. I, I, I don't know. Here's why I think it could happen because it's the playoffs and there's literally no predicting there's no, there's just no predicting. We see crazy stuff happen all the time. Like Randy Arozarena is the best player on earth in October. So I don't know. I could see it happening. You have to have a game plan and you have to execute. And uh, I don't know. I feel like Wood as a lefty could, could find a way to, to keep the Dodgers bats quiet. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. As someone pointed out, like, uh, you know, uh, he's, he, the lefties for the the Dodgers, uh, though, that he'd be quieting or whatever. It's just Corey Seager, right? Yeah, the the impact mm-hmm. of, of quieting Bellinger is not what it would have been in the past, right? So that that changes yeah. things a bit. Yeah, it, it's it's really strange. I, I I'm expecting the Dodgers to win this game. I don't think the Giants are buried. Obviously, two one wouldn't be the end of it anyway. And uh, we've got a, a couple suggestions here for Logan Webb <laughs> fans, Webheads. From Matt, that's a good one, by the way. Uh, we got uh, Webb's Weeples that's well, from McCabe or Webb's Swarm. Do you guys have a favorite out of those three? I don't know what a Weeple is. It's people, but with a W. <laughs> <laughs> I like Webheads. <laughs> yeah, Webheads yeah. seems pretty good. Webheads. Right. Are we three for three on the Dodgers in this particular matchup then? Yeah, I think so. Well, let's hope the Giants can find a way to make it go five and, and win game four, but something for tomorrow's show to dig into. Uh, I've been holding back. I put them at the bottom of the rundown for my own uh, my own sanity, but a good question here from Steven in the live stream. <laughs> is, this Freddie Peralta, is this Freddie Peralta start the biggest of DVR's career? Uh, yeah, um, I would say it probably is. You know, My entire reputation hinges on how Freddie Peralta pitches in game three of the NLDS. You know, you know what is unfortunate? I feel like no one's talking about this series that much, and it's been such a good series. It's been really good starting pitching on both sides. It's been kind of 
baseball at its finest. We haven't had to talk about balls deflecting or guys hitting somebody running into the base pass. It's been good, old-fashioned, really good pitching. And starting uh, pitching. They've gone, starting they've gone deeper, right? It's not it's not the whole parade of relievers thing. Yeah, it, it's been really good. Honestly, it's the game I'm looking forward to the most because I feel like, you know, Derek put it last on the rundown, not because he doesn't give it love, but because he's kind of very, very worried about what may, what may happen if Milwaukee goes down in this series. But um, I think it's going to be a really good game. I, I hope it's a good game because I feel like um, these two teams have uh, – really kind of been like old school baseball in a sense. As you said, there, there's been really deep starting pitching. Um, and now we're going to get a little bit further into those rotations. Right now, we talked about Morton and Freed for the Braves, but okay, they already went, right? Like, so, you know, we talked about Burns and Woodruff, they're done too. So this to me is kind of a big game for, from that aspect because I could I can make a case for either team winning this game. Um, and it may not be quite as low scoring. It may kind of deviate from what we saw in those first two games. Um, I think somewhat, but I don't know. Is that the one o'clock game? Is that the game that's like literally an hour after we get off air? Yeah. That's the first game. <laughs> the game yeah. that will be three innings deep by the time people listen to the podcast version, if not further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that one. So, which, so don't say anything dumb. <laughs> I mean, I say dumb stuff all the time. I'm, I'm used to it, but, uh, the Brewers offense has had some of the problems it's had throughout the regular season through these first two games. Really, it came down to a mistake that Charlie Morton made in game one, Roddy Telez got a hold of a fastball that got too much of the plate, and that was the difference. Both Corbin Burns and Josh Hader were kind of fighting the command a bit in those outings. Burns, of course, settled down for the first couple of innings. Hader was pretty wobbly in Game 1. I don't know if that's changes to the baseball or, or what exactly explains that, but that was pretty weird. Uh, something Will Salmon pointed out in his recap of Game 2, Brandon Woodruff's 2.86 runs of support is the lowest among qualified starters in the regular season. I assume Jacob deGrom doesn't qualify uh, and then you know, if he did, he'd probably be number one on that list because Jacob deGrom owns that list thanks to the Mets' uh, incredible <laughs> offense every time he takes the ball. But uh, Max Reed's been pitching really well. That was something David O'Brien had written about. Going back to late July, he's been more efficient, less strikeout-focused, had a good strikeout game in Game 2. Quietly, I think, one of the, the better young pitchers in the game. Not necessarily an ace or top 10 sort of guy, but someone that is still showing that he's got a little more ceiling that he could still reach. So much of this this matchup for me with Freddie Peralta comes back to the depth in his arsenal and just how different he is now than when he debuted. The pitch breakdown, if you haven't noticed it this year, the four-seamer just over half the time, a slider 26.4% of the time, curveballs just, just under 11% of the time, and even a changeup for lefties right around 10% of the time as well. He's not fastball Freddie anymore. I think the biggest thing I'm worried about is command, early command, because at times if he doesn't have his command, the pitch count gets high, and then you do have to turn it over to that bullpen earlier than you want to. Otherwise, I think Peralta is better suited for this opportunity now than he was at any other point in his career. Yeah, I think uh, you know he talked at the All Star game about that slider and said that uh, he kind of uh, it's a, a two finger grip and he stays through it. So it's a pretty interesting pitch. Um, I think it's it may be kind of a cutter to him. Uh, but that's what he figured out that made him take that leap this year. One thing that I didn't realize, uh, because I didn't have that many shares uh, in fantasy, is he kind of struggled down the stretch, huh? Yeah, yeah, ever since he had that little shoulder injury. Yeah, and there's been a little bit of a drop in his fastball velocity. I mean, uh, in, you know, what is this? 
three straight starts. He didn't get out of the fourth inning uh, in early September, in late August. Um, the good news is the Velo came back for uh, his last start uh, to some extent. Um, but uh, actually, no, no, it didn't. 92.3 and 92.9, those are uh, concerning numbers for me. Yeah, well, it's going to force him probably to go to those secondaries a little bit more often. A big part of what makes Freddie Peralta's fastball so good is hitters just don't see it particularly well, especially righties, because it kind of hides the ball behind his head, gets a lot of extension, but that missing velo definitely a concern. Sure. Uh, Sam in the chat, yeah, I miss Victor Robles being brought up each podcast, as uh, Steven said. All that's missing from the series for DVR is Victor Robles. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, We all want more Victor Robles in our lives. I mean, except Britt, she's covered him, so she's seen more Victor Robles than most people need to see in a lifetime, having covered <laughs> the Nats. But uh, yes, I'm here for more uh, Victor Robles, uh, Eduardo Ian Anderson. You know the the this the the, I mean, the big story for me is how bad the Brewers' offense has been. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and they they have to they have to prove something because Ian Anderson is gettable. You know he makes mistakes. There is going there are going to be some pitches that they should uh, hit hard, and so far R- Roddy's the only one who's done it. Yeah, um, that's I, that's exactly what I was gonna say. You know, if they don't win here, they're in big trouble, right? Because you can re-rack your start. Who's who yeah. before? I think they'd give Waskari Noah some innings, wouldn't they? No, well, in the next start, no. They come four. back with uh, uh, they just come back with Freed. You can go Morton. You, Morton. You can go yeah. Morton. Would it be on short rest? Because you I get only one off day. Uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it might it'd be, on be it'd be on short rest. So you could you could do Morton for four and then Enoa for two. Yeah. Do something like that, or even more for Enoa since he could be fully rested. I, I think there's a, a couple other interesting things here in the comments that are that are worth pointing out. Steven pointing out the Braves have yet to been punished for po- for playing this outfield, which defensively is a bad outfield. You don't put balls in play though, it doesn't test it. Uh, I've been a, kind of impressed by Jorge Soler though, just in terms of the quality of his plate appearances. I think he he looks like he's faster than his sprint speed numbers. Obviously gets on base, been leading off in the series. Just one of those guys that could end up being a pretty interesting value in free agency during the offseason. And then there's a lineup decision in here. Eduardo Escobar on the bench, Luis Urias in at third base today. So it gives them one guy that can come off the bench whenever they need someone who will stay in the game and probably you know move some guys around defensively. But a little surprising that Eduardo Escobar not in there against Ian Anderson today. I mean, he's, it, that's like searching around you know, searching for the right tool in the toolbox while you're looking the other way. You know what I mean? Like get that the hand behind yeah. you and you're like, where is that? Day? <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I, I, the, the, the big answer is uh, Christian Yelich. Like, yeah. I mean, any day now, any day now, it'd be great to get uh, Yelich back to something close to the 2018 <laughs> and 2019 form. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's walking through that door. The hype video I thought was maybe the beginning of the turnaround and hasn't happened to the first two games of the series. So let's get to your predictions. I know, Britt, you originally had Atlanta in five. I'm assuming as a a split 1-1 in Milwaukee went, you're probably not changing your tune on that. Right. Yeah, this is a coin flip of a game to me. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee wins this game. But like Eno said, I think until I can be convinced that the Brewers' offense is for real, that they're back, that there's some signs of, of life somewhere. Uh, it doesn't have to be Yelich. It could be some, it could be some random, it could be Colton Wong. It could be like some random guy, right? Um, this is the playoffs. Anything can happen. But 
I'm, I think it's going to be Atlanta. The, sh- the series is now in Atlanta, right? That's a tough place. The people are going to be very excited. Uh, I got to stick to the Braves. I, I, I can't change now. I haven't seen enough from Milwaukee to make me flip. You know, I had the Brewers in three. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, uh, well. Because you guys were, you were killing me on the waffling thing. So I, <laughs> <laughs> it's our fault, TV. Yeah, yes, it's your fault. I was gonna. I was. I, I'm searching the leaderboard here uh, for some stats to help me feel good, but these, this makes me feel worse. Um, I wanted to say, oh, Milwaukee with that lineup in September. Um, you know, the offense was better, but now I remember they couldn't score any runs in September. Their WRC plus was 88. Yeah, for the entire second half, they they were resting and they were banged up a little bit in September, and they were facing the Cardinals every other day. It seemed like they, I think, were just a shade below league average, but still not a playoff caliber offense during that entire second half. So this is the problem for them. I think when they get runners on base, which they did in Game Two, they have to cash them in. They don't have the luxury of stranding a lot of runners because they don't get enough guys on base in the first place. So uh, it's going to be all about timely. Hitting, clutch hitting are everyone's favorite word this time of year. I'm going to stay with my guys. I'm going to say the Brewers get the win here in game three. Do I feel good about it? No, of course not. Am I going to be sweating bullets the entire game? Yeah. Why Why wouldn't I be? So, you know, you're bailing on the Brewers just to, to set the record straight. <laughs> put Steven's comment up. You're bailing, right? No, put Steven's comment up. <laughs> so he is wrong. He's still right. And when he is wrong, it's DVR and Brit's fault. That's exactly right. Yes, absolutely. Can, can we get that as the new up. background of the show? <laughs> <laughs> we could do that. Yeah, we should probably put that as our banner on YouTube. Uh, El Capitano 2109. Lauer going to pull up Pavetta today. They, they kind of need it. Uh, if, if Freddie only goes three or four, which based on the end of the season, health of the shoulder, velocity might be part of the script. If you get Lauer out there for a long run of innings in relief, that could go a long way. They used Adrian Hauser as part of their bridge in game one from Burns to Hayter, and that worked really well too. So uh, clearly they they are trying to stay away from some of those soggy relievers that they don't want to throw out there in key I'm, spots, and I like the way they're doing it so far. I'm going Brewers. Going Brewers. I'm saying the all that rest. Freddie Peralta has had a lot of rest uh, since his last start. I'm saying he comes out, averages 94-plus on the fastball and shoves for at least four innings. I think if they can get four innings of shoving from him, I think Lauer would only have to do an inning or two. Uh, Brent Suter. Yeah. Hurt. Hurt? Yeah. Oblique. Dang it. Yep. So who's the middle? I love Jake Cousins and I love uh, Hayter. Who's, who comes after Lauer? Uh, well, you could throw Gustave out there. I mean, Oh, and Boxberger. Mm-hmm. Strickland somewhere in there. No. No, no, that fastball is as straight as I, a I don't. I don't that want that guy makes Strickland me out there. so nervous. In yes. nineteen, he what didn't even make the Nats bullpen just to give you an idea. He gives up so many homers. I really uh, don't yeah. want that's, the Brewers' season to come down to win. Hunter Strickland getting people it's out. I don't Peralta want to come for to that. four, Lauer for three, Cousins hater. Yeah. Well. Brewers eleven, Braves one. No, that would still be Brewers three, Braves one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm just, I'm just trying to be my own hype man. I, it, it's gonna be. It's going to be okay. And and again, like the Brewers pitching has come through, as Stephen points out. Like, yeah, Atlanta isn't piling up hits and, and doing a bunch of damage so far either. So 
it's going to be, I think, a very stressful postseason so long as the Brewers are in it for Brewers fans because they're just not built to pile up runs. You play a lot of good close games. You play a good defense. Your pitching comes through. It's good to have a team built that way. It is, uh, it's not relaxing to have a team that is built that way. But we need to go. Hopefully, a lot of you out there got to take the day off and, and enjoy this because the four playoff game days are pretty rare or you're still working from home and can have the quad box up in the background <laughs> yeah get those games all all lined up however you like them 50 percent off a subscription to the athletic by the way at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels so all the great playoff coverage that we have on the site everything we do all available there if you're watching us on youtube take a moment to barrel up on that like button be sure to subscribe to the channel to be notified every time we go live 11 30 a.m eastern 8 30 a.m pacific every weekday Throughout the postseason, maybe a couple exceptions if travel causes us to skip a day. But there's also a possibility of random weekend shows and possibly, you know, post-game beverages. Maybe there will be a time where I celebrate and drink a glass of wine. I don't know. I still don't think I'll become cool enough to do that. But that is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.